Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool senior analysts Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, good to see you. Hey, good to see you, Chris. Chris. Wow, that is, that's a new thing it's for us. It's a whole new opening. we got a lot to get to this week, but i got to start by thanking all of our listeners who have been with us over the past year as Motley Fool Money grew online. And now that we're making the official leap from podcast to broadcast, got to give a shout-out to our affiliate radio stations, WZAN in Portland, Maine, WBIS in Annapolis, Maryland, and WFED AM 15 in Washington, D.C. Guys, we're going radio. The pioneers, the people who are going to make all the other radio stations look late on the road. <laughs> That's, you know what? We'll, we'll take all comers. You know, all radio stations Late comers, you're, you're welcome as well. Coming up later in the show, we'll be talking about Google with David Weiss, author of the best-selling book, The Google Story. We'll also go through some of the big-name companies that reported earnings this week and give you a look at a few of the stocks that are on our radar. But guys, when we look at the big news this week, we have to start with President Obama's proposal to crack down on the size and scope of banks. Under the proposal, banks would no longer be able to own, invest in, or sponsor hedge funds and private equity funds. A bank size would be limited, and banks' ability to trade on their own behalf, known as proprietary trading, would be restricted. James, there's a lot there. Break it down for yeah, us. Yeah, Chris, there sure is. I mean, first of all, let's let's go back to the history books to 1929, before the crash. And banks then were taking deposit money, that is basically low-risk, easy-to-get money, and investing it in stocks. And that was a catalyst in, in, in the stock market crash. So Congress put through his Glass-Steagall Act that basically separated commercial and investment banking. This is a step back towards that direction. But there's a, a really a key point is, how do you define proprietary trading. Uh, that's that's really the kicker here because officially, I checked, officially proprietary trading is, is a typically a low single digit percent, like one, two, or, or with Goldman Sachs' case, 10% of revenues. That's not a lot. I think in real life banks are doing a lot more quote-unquote proprietary trading, but that's going to be a key thing to overcome here, and I'm sure the banks are going to try to circumvent it. Well, right, they're already arguing that, hey, this isn't isn't what caused the financial meltdown, so why are you getting uppity about it? That is true to, to a certain extent, although some of the trading that was done in, in exotic derivatives was, in fact, uh, this is a chicken and egg argument, uh, was fed by the trading that some banks were doing on these and by internal hedge funds that some banks were creating. The problem is now why we need this now, I think, is that maybe it's true that this didn't contribute specifically uh, to the extent uh, that we might worry back then. It may now because all of these banks that were previously just investment banks, well, they're all regular banks now. And so this is a way of staking a claim and saying, listen, if you get access to really cheap capital, uh, then you don't get to gamble with it. And if you are so smart that you deserve all these bonuses on all of this trading, then that's fine. Go do it without being a regular bank because we don't want to backstop that. Well, I have two things to say to that. First, I wouldn't be surprised to see them unregular bank themselves. You know, Goldman Sachs, J.P. <laughs> oh, Morgan, yeah. they became regular banks to, 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 uh, you to know, game the system. Benefits <laughs> and, and they might just back out again. Yeah. And, and yes, I, I believe that, that it was technically untransparent securitization of mortgage instruments that, that really caused the crisis most directly. The banks played a role in that. But I think the broader point is 
it doesn't matter. Even even if we even if this uh, didn't or did did cause the crisis, the next crisis will be something else. Uh, wait, you know, it's it's not going to be the same thing again. Uh, James has hit the the nail on the head with that phrase. Uh, what was that securitization? I said a lot of phrases. No, 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 no. <laughs> untransparent securitization, right? So that sort of encapsulates the complexity of the so-called Volcker rule. And so I think it's a great idea in practice, or in theory, but not so much uh, in practice. The thing that they could do is to you know uh, require FDIC insured banks to raise reserve limits, but reserve limits are already uh, uh, near all-time highs, and that would only further curtail lending. Yeah. And uh, lending is, uh, you know, pretty curtailed as it is. And I think the day before Lehman collapsed, its, it's tier one capital was was technically okay. I mean, it's very hard to pinpoint. It's hard to put any kind of a rule on a bank because banks are so complicated that even trained analysts don't know what's going on. Letting, yeah. I don't even know if the banks do. You know, it's so easy for them the, to. to to circumvent or, or squeeze around some yeah, rules. They're they, very they clever. Rules. It's important to have rules, but yeah. it's hard to make rules. Well, Sh- Shannon, you mentioned the Volcker rule uh, after Paul Volcker. That's right. Um, Where's Tim Geithner in all this? He kind of got pushed <laughs> Under, to the underneath side. Paul Volcker's left shoe. <laughs> He's at the kids' table. Yeah, <laughs> the adults have taken over. Um, is is this a situation where um, there are definitely going to be unintended consequences? We there just don't are, know oh, what yeah. they are. Always. I mean, yeah. you've got a bunch of congressmen, a bunch of senators putting this together. Uh, even if their intentions are are great across the board, which of course some won't be, they have no idea where things will go. Yeah, well, one one unintended consequence as well will be that you know uh, lawyers across the country will be racking up thousands of billable hours. Yeah. Jack Jack Bogle, who I'm a great fan of, uh, you know he he's all in favor of this kind of legislation, but he doesn't think it's going to work uh, because all the lawyers and geniuses on Wall Street are going to figure out ways to get around everything. As Spandau Ballet once said, so true. <laughs> Uh, what about, uh, let's just bring it back to investors who uh, we're all about here at The Motley Fool. Uh, what is the takeaway for investors? Yeah, Chris, if you're looking at these banks down, you know, 3 4 5% and thinking about jumping in, you may be right, but this whole thing is so fuzzy. Banks are a gamble right now. You have no idea what they're going to look like a year or two from now. All right. The Wall Street Journal reported this week that China's economy grew at 8.7% in 2009 and is now close to overtaking Japan as the world's second largest economy. And while that appears to be good news on the surface, the Chinese government is taking steps to rein in a booming housing market. Seth, what's going on here? Well, it's the kind of thing that that happens only in crazy economies that you wouldn't see. You wouldn't see this happen here in the United States where property prices just shoot (laughs) through the roof. And the, the Chinese economy is, is, is very hot. The government threw a ton of money at the recession problem. Then uh, they threw a ton more money at it by leaning on bank managers and others to lend. So I mean, pretty much all of the, you could argue that all of the, the spending in, in China is, is government dictated to a degree. And when things get too hot and, uh, and inflation starts to creep in, as people are a little bit worried with these latest numbers, they, uh, they have a command economy. They come in and they say, uh, up your capital reserves, don't lend so much. And what happened here was we saw a little bit of uh, financial panic. We saw the markets drop on that news. You know, Chris, I actually like this. I, I think it kind of marks a turning point for China. China has long wanted to be known for its growth and, I guess, gymnastics. And <laughs> it's very painful for them to to pull back on, on something like this, but, but but they're doing it. I think it shows some good discipline. I think, ironically, the next step is for them to be just hands-off altogether. I don't know if we'll get there. Yeah, it may be um, a responsible economic stewardship of the country, but uh, pe- people who are invested in China, and I think probably all of us are, at least to the mutual funds that we uh, own, should curb their enthusiasm. China is a is 
is a bubble in terms of uh, as an investment opportunity. And even if the government is going to stage manage the, the bursting of this bubble, uh, the, the consequences for folks who are probably much more heavily exposed to China now than they were a year ago could be dramatic. I own an emerging markets ETF, and the, its largest country exposure by far is to China. The thing was up nearly 100% over the last 12 months. If you haven't taken a look at your portfolio uh, in, in terms of its allocation, now is a great time to uh, dust off your belief in reversion to the mean and calibrate uh, or recalibrate accordingly. Okay, we talked about investors. What about just for the average U.S. consumer? Is this a situation where there's going to be a ripple effect and, and all of a sudden prices start spiking at Walmart? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, in, in fact, the opposite is likely. Yeah, if you overspend, which many would argue uh, is what's going on in China, then then prices on things are destined to drop. Yeah, I think oil went down, and, and a lot of the commodities uh, went down be- because of this. Even. All right, we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll break down some of the companies that reported earnings this week, including GE, Starbucks, McDonald's, and more. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill in studio with our senior analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, a lot of companies reporting earnings this week, but uh, I think we should just take a moment and reflect on the bumper music we just heard there, Wipeout. And James, you were out of the office for a lot this week. Uh, care to tell the folks listening at home where you were? Uh, I was skiing. I was skiing. And, and let me say this. It is very easy to be a really good skier when you're going straight. It's when you turn that your skill comes out or, or doesn't. And I was actually weaving through some stopped traffic and going a little too fast. And, and What kind and of traffic? Like kind of three-year-olds were talking. <laughs> and <laughs> and second-guessed myself. And the next thing I know, I was kind of tumbling down the mountain. And the people who brought me my skis said it was the least they could do because it was the best show they'd seen all day. So I took that as a compliment, and my MRI is next week. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to those results. Uh, We'll see if that actually cracks the news next week. All right, Shannon, in terms of earnings, let's start with eBay. The company reported better than expected earnings. There was a big gain from unloading Skype, which I think we all agree was just a disastrous acquisition. Uh, PayPal's revenue up 28% year over year. What did you think? Well, yeah, to borrow a great line from my colleague, Rick Minares, hit me eBay one more time. <laughs> this is a, a, a great story for these guys, even though I think that we should sort of uh, frame the discussion of earnings around the fact that all of these companies are reporting against remarkably easy year over year comparisons. But even accounting for that, eBay's results were quite impressive. Uh, shedding Skype was a smart move. It was a, it was a smart as acquiring it was dumb. And I, you know, I shop online to avoid talking with people. Why on earth would I want to uh, use Skype to, to confer or have conversations with the folks I'm purchasing these things from. Uh, the price was the, was well, the dumbest part of that. I mean, the, the billions right. was the dumbest. And, and even with the gain, they don't they don't get back the price that they that they paid. Uh, but the acquisition of PayPal in 2002 that was that was deft, and the apping of it, so to speak, was absolutely genius. So this time, uh, for the first time over the last 12 months, eBay has generated more revenue from outside sites that use PayPal than they have from their own properties. That's just a genius move on their part. And I think uh, looking ahead, if management can pull off those kinds of uh, uh, savvy techniques and and, uh, strategies, then it's uh, an interesting company to put on your radar right now. Uh, it's interesting because eBay, obviously known for the whole online auction thing, but that that's really that business is is really tapered off for them. And as you said, PayPal 
has really taken off. Do you think somewhere down the line they look at spinning off PayPal and generating money that way? Uh, not anytime soon. I mean, this is a profit center for them, and uh, I guess the, they have to do the calculus to determine can they generate more uh, through a sale than they can through the ongoing. Wow, no, you don't. You don't. You don't sell the goose that lays the golden eggs. <laughs> right. No. You, you, but no. you, you, when the, the eggs turn a bit uh, brown, perhaps then maybe, maybe you think maybe about selling. All right. Starbucks reported better than expected earnings. Strong sales of Via, the single serve instant coffee that I it's think it's not instant. It's good coffee. <laughs> In a hurry, is that what they say? Yeah, you've exactly. got a slogan that tries to say it's not instant. They coffee. do, and, and and let's be honest, we all kind of made fun of it when they first announced it. But but we the, totally the, did. The sales have been strong for them. What did you make, Seth, of of Starbucks earnings? Uh, come on, it's not that great. Uh, again, you got the easy comp situation. You've got comparable store sales increasing four percent against a really bad uh, climate last year. But that's only a one percent increase in traffic. It's a four percent increase in average ticket, which means either they're raising prices and or doing a good job of selling people stuff that's a little more expensive. Margins are way up, but when you're cutting costs, that's the kind of thing that happens, EPS. This is all fine. This is all well and good. Uh, And if you are walking into Starbucks, uh, you know, don't, don't count on a bargain. They are, they're getting their growth by charging you more. And if you are an investor in Starbucks, well, I said a, a couple months or a few weeks ago on this show that I thought the shares were fully priced in the $19 range. We're up in the low 20s right now. I don't see a lot of upside for these shares, although Starbucks is certainly a good company. It's not going away. It does say something about the brand, though, if they can jack up prices like that. I mean, it is yeah, well, they can only do it so much, probably, right? I mean, I think Starbucks is entering that kind of low-growth phase. For a while, it was the go-go growth stock. Uh, if you know, they stop making stores, which they said they're going to do, they may even, you know, maybe they should pay out a dividend, James. Then it is probably a <laughs> I very would, I would like it. I am the stock. dividend guy. They, yeah, I mean, they launder money there. Can I say that? No, they produce it. <laughs> <laughs> and James? speaking of pricing, just one, one thought uh, before we go too far from eBay. I just noticed in my notes here, I, I looked and in, in, in eBay uh, is trading the lowest earnings multiple. That's price over earnings uh, since they had earnings. The, the average PE uh, from before 2009 was 108. This is a trailing PE. eBay is now at about 21. So probably a lot of stocks are cheap these days, but, but that does look kind of cheap. Okay, so one thing that has come up with both eBay and Starbucks, as you mentioned, Seth, the the easy comps. Is this something that investors should expect pretty much for this entire year, better than expected earnings? Because next quarter or two, anyway. Really, for sure. You're gonna you're gonna see it over again. Uh, better than expected. Better than expected. And there are a few reasons for that. Uh, if you're in this game like we are, you you realize that estimates don't come out of thin air. These companies they they lead analysts by the, the nose to these estimates, and they can lead them to low estimates, and they can do that for bad reasons because they want to sandbag and look better when they beat them, or, which I think is probably the case now, they can be scared for a year or so and and be very conservative. And we're going to see a lot of companies that are doing better than they thought because they were panicked just as the rest of us were for the past year. Yeah, that'll be the headline, but folks should definitely look past the headline. Another point worth bearing in mind, too, is that next year, or actually in this year, 2010, uh, analysts expect a pretty healthy uh earnings growth for the S&P 500 companies, but not so much on the revenue side. So when you do that math, how are they growing earnings? Well, by cutting costs. You can only do that so far. And maybe they're wrong. Exactly. (laughs) All right, let's move on. GE, better than expected earnings for investors. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, despite reporting a 19% decline in fourth quarter profits, GE is getting hurt by its financial unit and by weakness at NBC Universal. James, you're our resident Jay Leno lover. Uh, what is your take on the state of GE? Well, a couple of things. First of all, you know, GE is a barometer for the economy, and the, and the lesson there is very simple. We're not out of the woods yet. 
GE is actually largely a financial company. It started doing this because people couldn't afford to buy a refrigerator all at once. So it started lending people money, and, and now finances are, are typically 40% or so of, of revenues. NBC, which which is getting the, a lot of news, is is about 10% of revenues, although they're, they're selling a lot of that to, to, to a Comcast. But I just got to say one thing. I don't mean to drag this show into, into the pedestrian, but uh, I guess I do. Um, <laughs> I want to work for NBC. I, I, yeah. If I can drive ratings into the toilet and get paid $45 million, or, or, or I and my staff can get paid $45 million to, to leave. Go away. I mean, what's up with that? I mean, y- you screw up and, and you get a massive bonus. I mean, that's a... a well, yeah, another news, lesson. Conan O'Brien is accepting a job as the head of a, a large investment bank soon, so... <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget, we got the Winter Olympics coming up. They're, they're expected to lose $200 million on that. Well, it's go, NBC. Explain to me, maybe, a, a, maybe somebody out there in, in radio or podcast land can inform us, why does anybody want the Olympics? They lose so much money. They bid so high that aren't they always a disappointment? It's the prestige, Seth. Come on. Two words. Ice dancing. Wow. <laughs> Nancy Kerrigan. <laughs> All right. McDonald's served up better than expected earnings. No thanks. way. Yes. Oh. Thanks, thanks in part to espresso-based coffees and its Angus third pounder burger. Are Sold we lo- together. Let's yeah, are are we loving it or what? Yeah, I mean. so the profit increased 6%, but the real question is, what was the average weight gain of the typical McDonald's customer? I would Well, at least a third of a pound, it sounds like. I want to see the earnings to heart attack ratio before I would consider these shares. All right, sticking, sticking in the world of fast food, no earnings to report, but Burger King made news this week when the company announced a plan to sell beer. The plan is to sell beer and burgers at a Whopper bar in South Beach, down in Florida. Wow. On, uh, like on the beach? Is uh, South Beach on the beach? It's a huge tourist area. I mean, come on. At first, when you said South Beach, I thought you were about to say Salt Lake City, and I would have been really <laughs> surprised. But beer saved Disneyland uh, in Paris because it, w- it was just going downhill. Nobody was coming, uh, and they make a lot of money from the, the food concessions. But then they started serving alcohol, and that's what worked with all the Europeans. But they had to have boot. Now, I think it saved Europe. it, though, because people realize that those rides really aren't any fun unless you're a little bit messed up. This is very strange, and uh, you know maybe it works. I I have not liked Burger King the stock or what happened when it was flipped out uh, as as an IPO, but I have to say that with that really creepy Burger King ad and a lot of the other stuff, they have done things that that nobody else had the guts to do. So if they benefit from this, uh, you know. Good for them. A Whopper and a beer? Come on. doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> you know what? I, I eat a lot of really bad, unhealthy food, and that just, I, I even can't stand the idea of that. All right. We'll have to stop right there. The guys will be back later to talk about the stocks that are on their radar. But coming up after the break, we'll be joined by Pulitzer Prize winning writer David Weiss and get his thoughts on the future of Google. This is a true story about a man in Michigan who pulled a gun in Burger King, but the waiter just looked at him told him that he had to order something from the menu only then can you open the till so the man from michigan ordered onion rings but even with a gun pointed at his head the waiter was no coward sorry sir onion rings aren't available during breakfast hours Burger King burglar turned and walked right out the door And I don't think he'll be coming back no more This is Motley Fool Money Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill and it's time to dig a little deeper with Google. And here to help with that is David Weiss. 
He won a Pulitzer Prize for his business reporting at the Washington Post. He's the best-selling author of The Google Story, and he's now a senior advisor with New Mountain Capital, a New York-based investment firm. David, welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thank you. It's great to be here. A lot to talk about, but why don't we start with Google's earnings this week. Uh, sales rose 17% in the quarter, the fastest pace in a year. Uh, but even though earnings beat expectations, it seemed like Wall Street was looking for a blowout. What did you make of their la- uh, latest quarter? Well, I think um, that you have to remember that Google stock has doubled in the recent past in price. And uh, so, you know, the stock had really run up a lot in anticipation of earnings, so they would have needed to really beat in a big way on the top line, meaning the revenue line, uh, for uh, the street to have uh, uh, really uh, gotten excited. But basically what I'm saying to you is the go- all the good news was already priced into the stock before the earnings. There were, there were no positive surprises, and there were, were a few things that gave people concern. What was the most concerning thing to you? Um, well, I think the most concerning thing uh, to to analysts on Wall Street was the fact that the company is aggressively spending on uh, capital items, and the company is hiring again and growing. Um, and uh, in addition, uh, the company has made clear that it's going to be on the prowl for acquisitions. And I think I think Wall Street would have been happy particularly to see this company bring its cost down. It's very expensive to deliver the world's fastest search service. Uh, you gotta t- it takes a lot of computing power to do it. And Google's rate of spending uh, for all the computing power it takes is, is much higher than Wall Street would like. Despite all of the things that Google is trying to launch and has launched successfully, uh, almost all of the revenue comes from advertising. Um, is is there a danger that this is a too many eggs in one basket kind of company? You know, um, if you remember the major television networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, for more than 70 years, uh, they gave away programming for free on television, and they made all their money on the advertising. Was that too many eggs in one basket? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I think it's a winning, it's a winning formula. Um, and people misunderstand it when they say that Google is a one-trick pony because it only makes money on the ads. Uh, what I do think, however, is that the company has struggled to produce more revenue from advertising on some of its other investments, uh, most notably YouTube. Well, I want to get to YouTube in just a minute, but but first... Google's presence in China has oh, also yeah. very much been in the news. Uh, Google said last week it would no longer censor search results in China, and that if China refused to allow an uncensored search engine, Google would shut down and, and possibly leave altogether. Do you think they will? I think what Google did was draw a line in the sand that is going to be looked upon historically as one of the wisest and shrewdest political moves in history. Why? Let me tell you why. In the last year to 18 months, Google has increasingly been viewed with suspicion in the United States and in Europe by antitrust regulators. Google had a bullseye on its back uh, being viewed as a monopolist, uh, perhaps a monopolist that would follow in Microsoft's footsteps 
by being sued by the Justice Department. What Google has achieved by taking a strong stand against censorship in China is it has gotten itself the white hat back. It has lived up to its notion of don't be evil, and it has changed the way the company is viewed politically in in the United States and Europe overnight. Instead of being seen as a monopolist, Google is seen as fighting for free speech. And it is one of the shrewdest political moves any corporation has made uh, in the recent past. And from a business standpoint, if you're looking at the search market in China, Baidu, the Chinese search engine, uh, was dominating that market. Uh, it really didn't mean a whole lot to Google's revenues in terms of what they were getting out of China. So, I mean, is is this a, a really great way for them to save face? I think this is not about saving face. I think this is about scoring points. I think it's an offensive move by Google. It's not e- mo- Most companies wouldn't dare to pick a fight with China. They would look at China as, you know, bigger than, bigger than uh, the United States in terms of potential future growth. And it takes a company that has $22 billion of money in the bank um, to, to really take a stand like this. And, you know, they had quite a debate inside the company when they went into China over the issue of censorship. Now they're taking a principal position that benefits them politically in the United States and Europe and that also has scored points with them among human rights activists all over the world. We're talking with David Weiss of New Mountain Capital and the author of The Google Story. A few months back, we had uh, Clay Christensen, the Harvard business professor uh, in at Motley Fool headquarters. And one of the things that he talked about was disruptive innovation. Yep, of course. Um, In terms of the two companies we've been discussing, Apple and Google, which one do you think is more likely to be disrupted? That's a great question. Um, let me look into my crystal ball. <laughs> and uh, I think the company that is most likely to be disrupted uh, between Google and Apple is Microsoft. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, because Google and Apple are both doing things that are highly disruptive to Microsoft. And that's the company that is going to struggle the most as a result of what I anticipate will be continued success at Apple, continued success at Google. Is it really that, is it more an area where Apple and Google just have too many weapons at their disposal? Is that why Microsoft is in the precarious position you think they are? Microsoft is in a precarious uh, position because its core business is a, is, is the, is the Windows operating system, and it, uh, that is their main profit center. Um, they are no longer an innovation leader, and uh, they are a very mature company trying to make the transition uh, going forward. And the, the problem for Microsoft is that they have a very large R&D budget, which they talk about uh, quite a bit. But most of that R&D budget goes to produce the next version of Windows um, and to protect products they have. It doesn't go to coming up with new products and new ideas. Windows ultimately is seriously threatened by free systems that both Apple and Google are giving away that are web-based and can be downloaded. And over a period of time, 
um, it's hard to beat free. And the price of uh, Microsoft Windows is high relative to free. Do you think that Google can make a dent in Apple's success with uh, the iPhone? Do you think that with Nexus One, uh, they can start to steal a little bit of market share? I think that, that Google is, is in the very, very early stages of this. It's a very expensive phone, over $500. They're trying a novel concept where you can buy a phone online and then try to go get your service so you're not locked into any service provider. I think it has less of an impact on Apple and the iPhone, and it has more of a potential impact on uh, the wireless players out there, Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, because suddenly those, ga- those companies have lowered the cost of phones dramatically using the classic razor, razor blade model and made their money on the monthly subscriptions, and you've been tied in. It, so if you wanted to be on the Verizon service, you had to buy a phone from Verizon. Now Google is saying, buy a phone from us, and you choose what service you want to be on. So I think actually the Google Nexus One phone in the long run poses, and other, and other more, more improved models, pose a much greater threat to um, the wireless carriers than they do to Apple. Now, David, when you and I were talking earlier, you mentioned that you have three phones. Is, is one of them a Nexus One? No, absolutely not. <laughs> People are having nothing but headaches with that baby so far. A lot of kinks. A lot of kinks. Um, we spoke with you back in 2005, and at the time, uh, you said that one of the things about Google was they were not particularly good at acknowledging weaknesses. And back then, you cited click fraud and Google's unwillingness to really address that problem. Is there a weakness that Google has today that you think they are not acknowledging to the degree they should be? Um, very good question. Um, Probably the biggest weakness they have today is retaining talented employees. Um, when Google was smaller, all the brightest people in Silicon Valley wanted to go to work there. When the upside from working at Google and stock options and the rest was there, when you could go there and you had access to Sergey Brin and Larry Page, Google's co-founders, it was an exciting, dynamic place to be. Now Google's a company with 20,000 employees, and the biggest weakness that they have today is their ability to retain and attract the best and the brightest, and they have not taken sufficient steps um, to acknowledge this. Uh, it is a serious problem, and it's reflected in the number of senior people who've left to go to other places where they have more upside opportunity, including Facebook and others. and it is also reflected in um, Google's uh, efforts to expand uh, its employee base abroad um, in a number of different countries um, where they may have a, a better shot at attracting and retaining employees who may not have as many alternatives as people do in the leading uh, technology countries of the world, particularly Silicon Valley and in Israel. You wrote the Google story in 2005. What has most surprised you since you wrote the book about Google? You know, the biggest surprise I've had um, in the uh, intervening years um, is uh, how quickly the company uh, went from 
being loved um, and held up as a model of, of um, um, you know, everything that's good about capitalism to, to being uh, on the wrong side of the Justice Department and the antitrust regulators. In the book, um, I, I, in the Google story, I wrote that, that political risk was the biggest risk to be managed. I think they've done a good job at managing that risk. I did not imagine, however, that in such a short time they would face so many tests from the Justice Department that would affect their business behavior. Um, every day, the number one thing they have to be concerned with is political risk. Uh, before we let you go, I want to circle back to the earnings that they announced earlier this week because, uh, as they usually do, uh, the topic of YouTube came up on their conference call, and, and Google does not break out revenues with regard to YouTube. Um, where do you see YouTube going? Because it's certainly very much uh, a part of everyday web culture. Uh, I don't think a day goes by during the week where someone doesn't send me an email with a YouTube link saying, you know, you got to watch this. Um, but where do they go with this very popular but potentially unprofitable, or certainly to this point, it seems like it's been an unprofitable tool. Is it going the movie route and selling movies that way? Uh, I think that it is trying a, a variety of different things and seeing what sticks. Um, Google has been struggling Google paid $1.6 billion for YouTube, a company that had no revenue at the time it purchased it. However, by doing that, Google commanded mindshare on the Internet because, as you know, uh, YouTube is the number one video site. You know, it's very interesting. Once upon a time, there was a company called America Online that was the darling of Wall Street. And... It had the most powerful communications application anyone had ever seen, and it was called instant messaging. And AOL never figured out how to make money on instant messaging. Uh, in the end, uh, it remains to be seen whether uh, YouTube attracts more people to Google itself because people use it to search for videos, and therefore there's a spillover effect that reinforces the Google franchise or whether YouTube itself can become, on a standalone basis, a meaningful contributor of profit to a company that just turned in a $2 billion quarterly profit for the first time and which has uh, more money in the bank than the gross domestic product of many countries. The best-selling book is The Google Story. The author is David Weiss, now a senior advisor with New Mountain Capital. David, thanks so much for being here. You bet. Still searching. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 
Chris Hill here, and back in the studio with me, our trio of senior analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, time to talk about the stocks that are on our radar. Shannon Zimmerman, let's start with you. Well, I'm going to steer clear of the politics for now, at least, but healthcare insurance companies in particular became infinitely more interesting as a result of Tuesday's election in Massachusetts. That's when, to quote a Village Voice headline, the Republicans gained a 41-59 majority <laughs> in, in, in the Senate. Yes. Uh, so some version of healthcare reform may survive, but it'll be a watered-down version of something that was already watered down anyway. And I think the Industry, uh, insurance companies are going to be the beneficiaries of that. The best player in that space, as I see it, is United Health Group. The ticker is UNH. It's up 31% over the last three months, but it still looks cheap relative to its earnings and uh, its cash flow over the last three years. So if you're looking to play in an attractive space, I think that's the company to watch. Okay. James Early? Chris, I have a Minnesota stock for you, so Seth should be happy as our, our, our <laughs> yes. Minnesotan here. And by the way, last time I was in Minnesota, I got a ticket for picnicking without a permit at a, at a state park. I mean, I don't know what kind of state this is, but <laughs> I've, I've put my grudge aside, and, and I like Polaris Industries. PII is it's the ticker. Not just Minnesota; that's up north with the snow machines, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, they make these stinky snowmobiles and ATVs and, and utility vehicles, which is sort of like a beefed-up golf cart where you can drive to to go hunt if if you're not able to walk or just everybody don't want I to. know has one up there. <laughs> 53% payout ratio, which is pretty low. 3.5% yield, which is pretty nice. Return on equity has moved from 39% to 59% wow. over the last couple of years. Give me the name and ticker one more time. Polaris Industries. Ticker is PII. Okay. Seth Jason? Geez, I don't know. In honor of that, I feel like I should put on a Minnesota accent for me to do my <laughs> stock on my radar, but I, I'll let it uh, drop. And I'll, I'm in a similar space. Harley-Davidson earnings out this week. Not so great. For some reason, all the analysts have it rated a buy. I see things the other way. It looks like they're trying to get rid of their financial services unit. Yes, if you were a Harley-Davidson fan, you may not have known that Harley made a lot of its money the past few years being the bank to loan people the money to buy Harleys. I think that that is going to end. I think that people taking cash out of their homes to buy Harleys has already ended. Looks like an expensive stock to me. And I think moving to India to sell more Harley-Davidsons is not really a rescue plan. And what's that ticker? H-O-G. Hog. One of the all-time great tickers. All right, we just got a minute or so left. Uh, next week, we got President Obama's State of the Union address, so we'll be digging into that a little bit in next week's show. But we also have the much-anticipated public release of Apple's tablet. Um, just Amazing. quickly around the table, what can Apple include in this gadget to make you want to run out and buy one? Uh, well, I don't know, but it seems destined to be more popular than the Beatles, and we know who John Lennon said they were more popular than. So. <laughs> James? You know, I'm trying to think of something that's family-friendly. I mean, I really like everything Apple. It's just so cool. So I'm going to say nothing and be cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> Seth? It has to be the price point because I think everyone agrees it probably will be cool. The trouble is an iPhone is already really cool, and it's a lot cheaper and fits in your pocket. So uh, I don't know. All right. Well, Free liver. <laughs> All right. Seth Jason, James Early, Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Also want to thank our special guest this week, David Weiss, author of The Google Story. I want to thank our producer, Steve Broido, our senior producer, Matt Greer, and I want to thank Kate Beckinsale, just because. That's it for this edition of Motley Fool Money. If you missed any part of the show, you can find it at our website, motleyfoolmoney.com. You can also get a copy of our free report, The Motley Fool's Top Stock for 2010. All that and a whole lot more, including photos of the guys, the incredibly handsome James oh Early. Shouldn't we and have the, a photo of Kate Beckinsale? <laughs> and the moderately <laughs> handsome Shannon Zimmerman and Seth Jason. All of that at MotleyFoolMoney.com. I'm Chris Hill. We'll see you next week. 